Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The U.S. Open just wrapped up in New York. And if you're like me, you've got tennis on your mind. Did you know it's a sport that not only keeps you in shape, but also improves memory? If you don't have time for in-person lessons, you can now learn the fundamentals online via Learn, Play, Love Tennis. These are state-of-the-art training videos led by Ravi D'Souza, founder of Topspin, The Winning Edge, and a top Canadian tennis coach with over 30 years of experience. Check out learnplaylovetennis.com and get your first month free. That's right, free by using the code E2Tennis. That's E2Tennis when you sign up for your new account at learnplaylovetennis.com. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed, where we speak to all kinds of creators and founders doing amazing things in business and beyond. If you enjoy the show and E2 is part of your podcast diet, you can become a supporter. The whole thing takes about a minute. Go to glow.fm slash E2. That's glow.fm slash E2. If you're into anything e-commerce, you're going to love today's conversation with Jay Myers, who's the co-founder and CEO of Bold Commerce, one of the fastest growing tech companies in Canada. Powering over 100,000 brands, Bold has become a leading e-commerce technology provider to many of the largest brands in the world, including some notable names like Harry Rosen, Staples, Pepsi, and many, many more. Bold has grown from a basement to over 450 employees, inspired by an unwavering commitment to customer care, energized by a culture of continuous innovation. In this one, we talk about the state of play in e-commerce, of course, the world of subscriptions and where things are headed, the momentum in the buy now, pay later space, the importance of customer referrals as a brand, and much, much more. So with that intro out of the way, let's get right to the show. Here is Jay Myers. And going back to 2012, 2013, and seeing what was happening in the payment space in general, which to be clear was so complex and highly fragmented and just a pain in the ass for merchants to process credit cards. Um, I remember Bold being one of those first pioneers in subscription billing. So I've run personally uh, e-commerce stores since 1998 was the first one I launched. And Matt, I remember the days when uh, just to be able to process a credit card, I had to personally guarantee go through a personal credit check, checking the value of my home. And it was a lot to, to process, just to process a credit card. Like that was one hurdle, let alone all the technical challenges of launching a store, 
especially if you want to do anything related to subscription. So the reason we kind of started Bold was uh, I approached it in the beginning. Well, 2010 was when I first heard about this platform, Shopify, and then I uh, actually got an email from from MailChimp and they said, we now have an integration with Shopify. And I kind of said, what's, what's Shopify? And clicked on it. And of course, they had at the time this concept of an app store, which now seems very normal. Like most platforms have an app store. But at the time, that was actually quite forward thinking. And I think they were the first e-commerce platform that had an app store. I mean, phones only had app stores like Apple launched their app store in 2008. So this was still kind of the concept of app stores was relatively new. Um, but at the time it was all integrations. We approached it as a, with the mindset of a merchant. So like it was, how do we make more money with this app store? And so actually the first app that we launched was an upsell app. It wasn't subscriptions first. It was, uh, it was a simple upsell app that you're a customer shopping. You click add to cart and a pop-up comes up. And if you're buying a leather jacket, the pop-up, you know, says, would you like the leather treatment kit? So that was 2012, 2014 was when we started getting into the subscription space. We, we actually launched our, our subscription software January, 2015. So like we worked on it most of 2014, uh, launched it right in the beginning of 2015. And it was, a uh, it was back then it was the wild west. If you wanted to do subscriptions. So we wanted to make it a very embedded integrated experience. And so we've always said it's, our approach is you can keep your existing e-commerce store. You don't have to change anything. So it's a subscription tool that integrates into your store. Uh, so you don't need any separate setup or anything for it. It's your existing store, existing products. Uh, you can of course design your own flows, but our intention was always to integrate into someone's store to make it as easy as possible. Did the front end need to be built on Shopify at the time to make that happen? It, at, at the time. Yes. Um, now it's, platform agnostic it's headless so what that means is uh you can extend the the subscription experience anywhere so for example if you wanted to build a couple simple examples would be ios or android apps so maybe you have an e-commerce store but you want to have the subscription experience in a mobile app or maybe it's sms or maybe it's pos and then headless cms is, is a big one so a lot of people have store on a platform like Shopify, like big commerce, like WooCommerce, wherever, but they use a content management system for the front end. And the main reason is for increased speed or increased customizability. It's, you know, e-commerce platforms by their nature, aren't the best content management software. They're not designed that way. So they're, they're good. Like you can design a beautiful Shopify store. But a lot of people use, there's a few different solutions out there, but they're called, what, what's really popular right now is um, they call them progressive web apps. And so there's one called Shogun Frontend, Nacelle is another one. And what it is, is it allows a page to, it kind of preloads all the content on the website. And essentially it makes a page load lightning, lightning fast. And the reason why that's so important is if your traffic is coming from social media, they expect... If you're scrolling on Instagram and scrolling with your thumb and you click on an ad and if that page doesn't load as fast as the next post on Instagram, they're backing out. And so a lot of people think about page load speed as, well, what does two seconds really matter? If I'm searching for something on Google and I'm looking for glasses, if the page loads an extra couple seconds, I'm not going to leave. Why does it really matter? And they're right. 
But traffic coming from social media is a completely different story. There's many use cases for the extensibility of a subscription platform. Those are a couple of them. The subscription software launches in 2015. Is this pre-CrateJoy, post-CrateJoy? And, and where does CrateJoy fit into the mix here? CrateJoy existed and CrateJoy uh, still exists. CrateJoy, you know, early in 2013, 14, 15, I, CrateJoy is still a good option. CrateJoy is, is, I actually, a lot of our brands, they, they do have a CrateJoy offering and they have a store. CrateJoy is a marketplace. Um, you can kind of create your own look and feel to your brand within CrateJoy. Kind of like you can have like an Amazon store or an eBay store or it's, it's a marketplace. So what you get with CrateJoy is you get traffic. CrateJoy is often for brands a great way to launch a subscription. It's you, you can, you can put something on there quite easily. You don't need any coding a lot. They kind of take care of everything and then you can kind of test things out. But what we find is a lot of people who have a CrateJoy store, they get to a point, I guess I don't know if we call it a store, sorry, a CrateJoy listing or offering. Um, they get to a point where they really want to build their brand and really own the relationship with their customers. Uh, and that's usually when they open their store um, because they've kind of gotten to a point where, but it's it, it's not one or the other. You can you can do both. So CrateJoy was kind of servicing this market that really didn't have a lot of options at the time. But I would imagine like, you know, you guys come into the market, you have this really unique value proposition especially for Shopify merchants. And then things just kind of take off from there. Back then, it's hard to it's hard to even kind of think about how much has changed in just six or seven years. But, um, you know, some of the core things, some of the things we had to do to make a subscription app work on a platform was not, not hacky, but like work aroundish. Like we couldn't, we couldn't do it in e-commerce platforms. We had to do it, like even the checkout had to be offsite, the order management stuff had to be offsite and we would push orders back in and even payment gateways. A lot of them didn't support tokenization the way that they do now to be able to store and vault credit cards. And so a couple of years before that, we would have had to become fully PCI level one compliant to be able to store credit cards and charge them. But Stripe kind of enabled us to be able to build the software to do subscription billing where we don't have to vault the cards ourselves. We just vault a token. Stripe would store the actual credit card. Now we are fully PCI level one compliant, but that's a big hurdle like for someone for getting into the space. So it was harder, much harder back then. And they're just all the, all the payment gateways didn't even have that option uh, that they do now. Now, now you can do credit card vaulting with all the major gateways. Were they the first big gateway partnership that you guys had? Yes. Uh, yeah, they were. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you later add uh, Braintree, you add moon clerk and some others, correct? All of them, CyberSource, Authorize, uh, Global Payments. Um, you know, it's, yeah, there's about 30 or 40 different gateways. Just to sort of paint a picture, because you mentioned so much has changed over the last seven years. I mean, you guys are now powering uh, some pretty big names uh, on the client side. Harry Rosen, Staples, Pepsi, and others. Um, you have over 100,000 brands uh, under the Bolt Commerce umbrella that you're powering. So it's just an extraordinary story and um it's a testament obviously to to what you guys have, have built and, and your forward-looking uh, vision for the company so congrats but Thank like you. early on in those first couple of years say 2015 2016 what was the big thesis like what were you guys betting on 
It's a really good question. I think a lot of companies go through this. You, you start early on building products or building solutions that solve, you know, things that you're passionate about and that maybe you have some domain authority. And so being in the e-commerce space myself, I was, I was passionate and had some domain authority, um, partnered with, there was three, there's four founders, two of them developers, one of them a designer, and they also were, this wasn't their first startup. So they had tried many things and early on our, our focus is definitely changed and evolved. And it's a, that's a good observation. I would actually like in 2014, 15, I remember thinking, uh, one of our goals was to launch as many apps as we could. We, one year we said like, let's try to launch 12 apps this year, an app a month. Like that was how we thought. We thought there's so many solutions. Like we had a list of a hundred apps we wanted to build. Like there was just, but it is very true that they say there's never a shortage of ideas. It's, and most businesses don't fail from too many opportunities or it's, it's, they, they fail from indigestion of opportunities. I think at one point we had 36 live apps ranging from all different types of stuff. And, and some, some of them we looked at and we thought, you know, here's this app, it's making money, it's doing okay. But like, what does it actually do to our, like our mission and our vision of like what we want to solve? Like, how does this play in the bigger picture? So our focus it now is around what we call the checkout experience. And so the checkout experience is, involves subscriptions is of course a big part of it. Subscription billing, subscription management, that's all part of the checkout experience. Price rule management, which is running promotions or wholesale and VIP pricing or advanced promotional logic, changing prices dynamically, different regions is a big one. People need to have different prices state by state or country by country the actual checkout itself. So a lot of brands do use bold checkout. Actually, all those ones you just mentioned, Harry Rosen, Staples, Pepsi, they they all use our actual checkout as well. And then all the other apps, um, they kind of enhance the checkout experience as well too. So that's become our focus. I think the internationalization, uh, which is a good term for it, that challenge still exists for a lot of Shopify merchants, for example. You know, if you're a merchant selling widgets on Shopify and you decide, um, you know, you've, you want to sell into Canada and then you want to sell into the U.S. and Australia, for example, how do you do that and give the customer sort of a domestic experience where the American is checking out in U.S. dollars, um, the Australians checking out in Australian dollars, uh, Canada, the same thing. And then the merchant is not having to be hit with um, different interchange fees or whatever as the funds get settled back into the operating accounts. You can sell internationally on like, like using Shopify as an example, you can use Shopify's checkout with Shopify payments and they support a number of currencies, but it does all settle in, in one currency. You are not able to change the currency, sorry, like exchange it yourself. You're at, at that, at the mercy of however it settles. We approach it a certain way. We want to give the brands full control to use certain payment gateways. For example, if you sell into South Africa, I think it's pay fast is what most people are used to using there. If you sell into other countries, there's different payment methods that they would use there. So um, we're just approaching at it saying you have full control country by country. I think one of the big things is as a brand, what you need to think about is you need to feel local. Um, so there's a crazy stat that it's like, what is it? I don't have the tip of my tongue, but it's, it's high. It's like 90% of people who don't feel they're shopping on a local site will will abandon it. And so 
when a, when someone lands on your site, you might have a currency converter, you might have the option to change language, you might have the option to do all this, but if it doesn't do that automatically, you're losing customers. And so all of this stuff that, that we do, we use the, the customer's IP location to detect where they are and automatically show a currency, automatically show a language, automatically switch gateway. Like none of this is stuff that a customer would have to select because if they have to select it, you're, you're kind of missing the point. It has to feel local right off the bat. So that makes sense. Okay. So just to close the loop on the, the strategy and the vision for the company, you start to obviously kill the apps that are not aligned with the vision. Um, you get down to 17 from 26 or wherever you started and going forward, are you putting every product development initiative, every business strategy through this new filter of does this support bold checkout, bold subscriptions, bold price rules? Is that kind of the overarching direction of the company? Yes. Does it improve the checkout experience? But yeah, that is the filter that we look at. That's so it's still somewhat broad, but it's focused around the checkout experience. Is this also something that supports uh, Bold's ability to differentiate itself from the competition? So, you know, obviously things have changed so much, as you point out, in the last seven years, including the competition. So if I just think about, you know, some of these call them back end sort of uh, subscription billing providers like Recharge, Charge B, you know, Fuse Bill, Chargeify, there are so many of them now. I guess two part question. One, how do you differentiate yourself from these other folks? And, and who do you view as the competition, if not these names that I've just listed? Yeah, for sure. Good, Matt, you see, I feel like this is part of like a branding exercise here where uh, the messaging, because that, <laughs> this is always a challenge is uh, making sure that exactly the value that we want conveyed is what customers understand. So we are, what we care deeply about and what we really try to solve for is product-based e-commerce subscriptions with extreme flexibility that brands can well, that they can, they can have up and running fast, but when they want to scale and extend anywhere they can. So we don't really focus on, uh, you know, you, you mentioned Chargeify, there's software SaaS companies that use Chargeify for their billing. So we, that's not something we would do. We don't handle like digital service subscriptions, SaaS billing, it's e-commerce product focused. Of those ones you just mentioned there, Recharge is probably very close to us. One of our core, I guess, like if, if, if you said like, what's the difference Sub recharge is focused on subscriptions. We are very focused on subscriptions as well, but we have a lot of other apps in our suite that complement it as well. So if you needed to do any type of price rules logic for subscriptions, like for example, if you wanted to do after a customer is subscribed for five months, they unlock a 10% discount after a year, they unlock a 15% discount and on their every anniversary they get their box for free or something like that. Like some advanced pricing logic. Um, our price rules engine would manage all of that for both subscriptions. So we think right now subscriptions are happening on a, on a brand store, which probably will always happen. But when we think about where they're going to live and be managed in the future, it might be less and less on the store. It might be um, I think I'm going to be saying, Alexa, when's my next smoothie subscription coming? And Alexa should be able to say in two weeks 
oh, snooze it one week. Okay. Um, my management, my subscription management isn't going to be in a customer portal. It's going to be, I'm going to, I want to get a text message saying your subscription order is about to go out. Reply one. If, if you want to snooze the week, reply two if you want to edit it. If you're great with it going out a week, don't reply anything. So we wanted to build this version a way that when a brand is ready to, to scale and to extend, there's no limits. That's a big bet on on voice that I think you're making. Not that I disagree with it at all. I actually think it's it, it's totally plausible that we go in this direction. The one question I would have is, you know, how does this impact subscription merchants who rely on breakage when you give the customer all of the controls to say, yeah, pause it a week, uh, I'll put this on hold. You know, a lot of these companies love the idea that you are automating the billing process for customers and they know customers get lazy, they get busy, don't often pay attention <laughs> to what's on their credit card bill that month. And so they forget that they've been subscribed for, you know, three, four or five months before they remember. That's a really good question. Here's what, here's my thoughts on that. I do, I've, I've got thoughts on this. Um, you're, you, if your subscription, well, first of all, if, if, if the, if the reason someone's saying staying subscribed is because they don't notice it on the credit card bill and they're too lazy or they forget to log into the customer portal to cancel, which has happened to me. And actually right now I'm subscribed to something I've been meaning to cancel for like five months, but I just haven't logged in to cancel it. You and everybody um, else. If that's, yeah, if that's what's keeping the subscribers around, I think you're, I think that brand is, I'll, I'm going to say doomed already because there's, there isn't enough value. And I talk a lot about, I call it value stacking. And so this is, I think you touched on something really important here. And I think a big mistake that a lot of subscription brands make is they think the value of their subscription is the product and the convenience of the subscription. That was the case seven years ago. Like seven years ago, if I went on to a store and I could see, I could buy my deodorant, holy cow, I can subscribe and I never have to think about ordering, or let's say coffee, it's a better example. Holy cow, I can subscribe to coffee and I never have to order coffee again. Great. That was like, that was the value to me. And I can get a 10% discount for subscribe and save. That was, that was a win. That's table stakes now. There's so much other value that a subscription can have other than just that product because every customer goes through subscription fatigue, like where I get three or four of these things of coffee built up. I go on vacation for a month and I forget to pause it. And so now I've got it built up. And if all that subscription about is my coffee every month and I see three built up in my shelf, I'm going to go and I'm going to cancel it. But if I have all this other value around it and I don't use it for a month or two, I'm not going to cancel it. Like Amazon Prime is such a perfect example of this. If you think of the value that they stack in a Prime membership with Prime photos, with Prime video, Prime storage, Prime shipping, Prime everything else, like it's, you know, it's hard to even imagine canceling it, even if you don't order something from Amazon for a month or two. And I usually tell brands to try to get to a three, three X perceived value. So if your subscription is costing a customer $39 a month, or let's just say $30 a month, the, the customer should perceive $90 of value. So if you asked what it's worth, and so what, what, what that means is, are they getting discounts on other products on your site while they remember, do they get, while I'm subscribed, I get 20% off of I don't know, this yoga studio because this coffee is like a yoga fitness coffee or something or find partners, reach out. Like when you have a, when you have a subscription, you have a distribution channel and people will, will beg to get their, 
their offer included in that just that subscription. And so you can have, you can create a lot of value. So it's not just about the product. And so actually one of the brands we were talking, I don't, I don't, I don't know when this will air, but sub summit's coming up next week. This might air after sub summit. That's fine. We're hosting a, a fireside chat there with a brand called Sitka salmon and they sell fresh fishermen caught uh, salmon and all kinds of seafood. It's not farmed. They, they, there's a whole, a whole bunch of fishermen that catch it and then they make these seafood boxes. But an interesting problem they had was it's seasonal. They, they only can catch for nine months of the year and there's three months that they can't catch. So they sell a subscription that lasts for nine months. And then at the end of the nine months, the subscription is done. And then every year they need people to, they, they, they sign back up. Which, which is crazy when you think about it. Like that's like, like a horrible thing for a subscription to have to do to automatically end. And now a customer has to log in and buy the subscription again every year. You would think like that's just building in churn and drop, and drop off, right? Because uh, their people are going to forget. And, and, it, and, it, and it did happen a little bit, but, but the almost, it was like some crazy number. It's like 95% every year of their customers who were subscribed, resubscribed the following year. That means they have so much value in, in what they're offering that a customer will go back, sign up again each year. And I, I just think if you have an offering that a customer will do that, like never mind the mindset, oh, I don't want to make it too easy for them to cancel. There should be so much value in there that if it automatically ended every year, your customers would run like if my Amazon Prime membership automatically ended every year, I would log back in in January and repurchase it. That's how much value there is there. And so that's how brands should be thinking. How do I have so much value that my customers would automatically repurchase this even if it did automatically cancel? Or giving customers the ability to pause, edit, snooze, skip, I think is a no-brainer as long as if, if you've built a value-stacked subscription, then then you're fine. Love the way you've put this. So the value stacking uh, is, is one piece. That value perception is the other piece. That three X formula that you share. Um, I love it. Is there anything else? Any other pieces of advice for brands um, that are looking to scale a subscription business that you would share? Yeah, I see brands view themselves as one type of a subscription that I think is a mistake. So. Okay, so broadly speaking, there there's there's three main categories that uh, e-commerce subscriptions fall under: curation, replenishment, and access. And a lot of people view themselves as one of them. So they are a curation subscription, and that's like okay, box of the month, or they're a replenishment. That's your subscribe and saves. I just want this one product. I want my deodorant, and I want it every month. And then there's access, which might be not even a product. It might just be access to courses or access to some digital content or something. A few years ago, we, we put out a, an ebook. It's called the seven subscription models to master. And what we did is we, we had around 20,000 brands using our subscription software. And we kind of looked at all of them, uh, lumped them into every, every different category under those three categories. There's a couple subcategories. That's why there's seven, but those are the three main ones. And then we looked at the brands. I think it was like our top 20 or 30 brands. I can't remember the exact number. And we looked at what models they were and we found something really interesting. And that is all of the brands that were doing the best all had an aspect of all three. So you need to have an aspect of curation, replenishment and access. So even if you're selling, let's just go to that coffee example. If you're selling coffee every month, 
what is the curation? You, you Your customer might want that one specific coffee, but maybe each month or once a quarter, you put in a roaster's choice or a, a flavor of the season. The access can be, of course, access to the roaster comes on a Zoom call or access to content or access to community or access to exclusive events if you have a physical location or whatever. But think about having right up on a board, curation, replenishment, access, and for your subscription right underneath what are my customers getting that fall under each of those categories. Uh, that is something I would definitely challenge any subscription brand to think about. If you just have one, you probably don't have a very sticky subscription. Yeah, I call this uh, full stack. And I think that's the next chapter yeah. of where winning subscription businesses are headed. And and kind of on that point, like it kind of goes to thinking about it as a membership and the subscription is a piece of this membership. It's not just about this the subscription. The subscription at its core is a is a is a billing decision if a customer chooses to subscribe, but a membership is bigger and it lives above that. Customers want to be members. Customers crave it from the day you're young. You crave to be a member of things. And customers want to be a member of, of the brands that they support and love. And there's so many things that go into that, but brands are really starting to understand that, 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 that is what customers want and customers will pay for that. They'll, they'll pay to be a part of something. I think that that, I mean, I think that's spot on, you know, Peloton's a great example. I know this is an example that's, that's obviously ubiquitous. You know, you look at Peloton's model and it's so powerful because it's that hybrid of selling bike fine but you're really selling um the peloton user something way more right you're you're selling them access to a club access to some sort of exclusive family of other pelotoners who are competing against one another online and taking these classes and and then sharing their milestones with their friends etc and so that's really where the margins are in that business not not the hardware hundred percent. And honestly, I, I have a couple of friends that were part of the, uh, they bought the tread and it was part of the recall. And so they didn't have the tread for a while. Someone actually came, picked it up and they got into it. So they were like out of a device for a couple months, but they didn't cancel their Peloton membership. They kept, because there's a Peloton app, they can still do the workouts. They can still be part of the community and they still did continue doing the workouts. So even without the treadmill or the bike, they didn't cancel their subscription and, and Peloton has done that masterfully. Speaking of value creation, where things are headed, there's so much momentum in the buy now, pay later space. So companies like Affirm, Klarna, Afterpay kind of leading the way here. How do you see this section of the market playing out in the coming years and where does Bold fit into this equation? Yeah, it's going to be, this is a space I'm paying a lot of attention to. I think I think this is probably where a lot of disruption is going to happen in the next five to 10 years. And I always look at, you know, the, the challengers never take on the incumbents like head on, like, you know, no one says I'm going to disrupt the banking industry, but a small piece of it like this, a small tiny piece of, you know, timed payments or four equal payments on something is an easy way to do it. Like companies like a firm have the, I, I could see them launching in the next year an affirm credit card where now that my details are in with a firm, why don't I just pay with a firm everywhere? I could shop with an affirm credit card on another site that doesn't have time payments, but because I'm using my affirm card just by default, everything I charge to it gets split out over four. 
Um, and then that's going to maybe I want to store money in there. Maybe I want to transfer money. I can start using it. it. It Maybe my next car purchase will be through a firm and they launch a firm auto financing. Like they, they, they could back into disrupting the banking industry piece by piece. If there's a space of commerce right now that's probably getting disproportionately high investment, it's the buy now, pay later space. And everyone's betting on a horse or maybe betting on all the horses and we one is gonna one is gonna win or a couple are gonna win for sure i see them as a partner um i don't i don't yet see them as a competitor and i don't think it's like shopify or a platform like they're they're partners that that we enable subscription logic on so it's an interesting space though i it's it's uh, one i'm watching closely square just acquired afterpay in august in a deal worth 29 billion. <laughs> so yeah, people it's are crazy. definitely betting on the future of buy now, pay later. Um, speaking of future and next chapter, where are you guys headed in the next five, 10 years? And I mean, you just raised, or you've raised 44 million plus dollars to date uh, from some big venture names. Um, post series B, where are you headed? Our focus is always to to make commerce better wherever it happens. And so we think about like the touch points of commerce and commerce anywhere. And right now, a lot of that's on websites. Um, we're already starting to see that slowly shifting, but our, our focus as a company is we, we're, we're never like, we have no aspirations to, to become any type of an e-commerce platform or, but we think there's always ways that wherever and however people sell, we can make it better. And subscriptions is always going to be, I think that it really is early days still for subscription. There's, we're probably going to see a bit of a, of a, of a dip and then a slow climb. We're going to see a little bit of subscription fatigue, probably over a little bit. I think we probably might still grow in general just because the market is growing so fast, but, and then as brands figure it out, it's going to really scale. We're paying very close attention and we're trying to help brands solve for it. And, uh, you know, and that's why, that's why we built this, our latest version to be completely flexible so that as these experiences evolve, we can, we can be there at those touch points and, and, and make it better. Speaking of solving problems for brands, uh, just before we wrap up, I have to ask you this question, Jay, do you hear anything from the e-commerce merchant side about how brands are navigating this new iOS 14 update. I've heard that it's had a, a really big impact on media buying specifically. You know, this is an interesting one. So I, I struggle with when I see someone post something that now that they can't track their ad spend, that they're scrapping all advertising. You can still run ads through Facebook and use their conversion tracking APIs as opposed to tracking scripts thank you page. So there is different ways that, um, you can still track the exact conversion. Um, I think I could see very soon, uh, Apple launching somehow their own metrics, like they're going to own the ability to, uh, sell and track advertising through their platform. So I think this is like the tip of the iceberg of a long-term strategy for Apple. And so if, uh, I know Apple says they're all about privacy and they're all about this, but I think it's actually bigger than that. I think they want to own the beginning to end 
of a customer journey on an Apple product. At the end of the day, the important thing is brands that are providing value to their customers. If you were just paying, paying to acquire customers, and if that was your game, like I don't say game, but strategy, you were probably on in a subscription world, you were probably on a death curve. Let's say it's a hundred bucks to acquire a customer and you, and you can acquire a thousand a month, but you have 10% churn at some point, you're going to get to a, a number where you have, if it's a hundred thousand and you have 10% churn and you're churning a thousand a month and you can only acquire a thousand a month, you're going to get to a point where your growth goes up and then just, just levels and you can't acquire more than are churning. And it's the subs subscription death curve. And so many brands look like that. They grow, they grow, they grow. And then they get to a point where they just plateau because if you have a million customers and you have 10% churn, you need to be acquiring a hundred thousand just to keep, keep level. So, cause churn is a percentage. So the cust the brands that do really well. And I, th this is something I think important saying, I think that one of the biggest missed opportunities in marketing is, is referral marketing. It's, it's, it's the truest, most purest way to acquire a customer yet very little effort is put into it from brands. Like most brands will have a, you know, share this with your friends and they'll get a 10% discount or so they'll have some, some tool like that. But for subscription brands specifically referral referred by friend is one of the number one reasons people buy a subscription. Very few people subscribe from a brand and forget the brand's name. Like there's, it just like you're closer related to the brand. You're, you're a member of it. So. Uh, and that's why people are more likely to, when you have a FabFitFun membership or a Birchbox or something, you're going to tell your friends, like people talk about their memberships more than they talk about a one-time purchase, but brands haven't caught on to this yet. And they haven't really empowered this. If you've got this really amazing referral program and you acquire one customer, that customer turns into two customers and that those customers turn into four customers. You actually might not even need advertising. And there is a way to figure this out. It's called your viral coefficient. And you can, you can, there, so I know off the top of my head that if you have 15% churn, you need your customers to refer 1.2 people. So some customers might not refer any, some customers might refer three, but on average, if a customer refers 1.2 and 15% and churn, which is actually pretty high, a lot, a lot of our brands are like eight or 9%, you'll, you'll have viral growth. But now if you have 20% churn, the number is different. It might be 1.3 or 1.4 you can, you can calculate it out, but, um, you figure out what you need to have a viral coefficient of to break out of your churn number. So look at your churn number and then intimately know referral rate. Very few people are focusing on that. They're just focusing on paying to acquire customers and they're going to plateau there. You, you can't, you can't buy your way to viral growth through Instagram and, and Google ads. Yeah, and it, it's tough also because you don't control the traffic. You don't control what happens to your CPC or CPM rates. I mean, you, you could be buying and, and falling into your CPA targets one month and then the next month, wow, like things have gotten three, four or five X more expensive. Absolutely. Um, especially if you're banking on, say, Facebook or Instagram as your primary acquisition channel. Well, Jay, this has been great, man. I've really enjoyed this. I know we went a little bit over time, but thank you so much for being on the show and sharing what you've shared. So many good nuggets here. Boldcommerce.com for more on Bold. Where else can people follow what you're up to, Jay? Uh, yeah, boldcommerce.com. I'm fairly active on on LinkedIn and Twitter. Um, it's on Twitter, Jason N. Myers. You can just search Jason Bold. 
uh, and on LinkedIn. I'm, but yeah, our website is the main place. Cool, man. Well, congrats on all the success so Thanks far. It's, a, it's an amazing story. One that a lot of people are familiar with and many are not, but it's a tremendous Canadian growth story. So congrats. Awesome. Thank you. Really appreciate that. Thanks for having me. That's it guys for today. Thanks so much for listening. E2 is brought to you by Scriberbase. Want to build recurring revenue for your business? Visit Scriberbase.com for more info. If you enjoy the show, download, share, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit us at glow.fm slash e2 to become a supporter. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Electric acid.